Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another of our autumn series, Sales Leaders. My guest today is Latney Conant, who is the go-to-market advisor and CMO for Sixth Sense. Before joining Sixth Sense, Latney had enjoyed a considerable customer-facing experience from consultant at Arthur Anderson and several sales roles at Ariba. This was followed by a six-year career at Aperio, starting out as an AE, ending up as area vice president of sales. Then in a freak riding accident, she was kicked in the head by a horse and ended up in a marketing role, albeit global CMO. I am, of course, kidding. It was a pony, not a real horse. <laughs> Latni, you're very welcome. <laughs> by the way, I also had to say Latni is author of a book called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. That's the book. Latni, I'm curious, what prompted you to write the book? Well, first of all, I want to apologize in advance. So if, if people don't like the interview, we can just blame it that I was kicked in the head by a horse, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. We can, we can, yep. That's a great excuse. So thank you for that. No um, so yeah, it, it's been a really interesting last two years, really, um, at, at Sixth Sense. And when when I came to Sixth Sense, I had had, as, as you so eloquently put it, a a long career at a company called Aperio. And Aperio's whole mission in life was experiences. So helping people really revolutionize their customer and their employee experiences using cloud technology. And so I really believed in our mission at Aperio. I, you know, was was all in on it. Uh, and, you know, fast forward, I'm at Sixth Sense and I'm looking around at MarTech and I'm looking at our demand gen kind of standard practices, right? The way just marketers do it and the way our technology is set up to do it. And I had this kind of weird epiphany that we kind of treat our prospects like dirt. Uh, and if, if you think about, um, you know, over and over again, there's been tons of research proving that you know, customer experience is, is a winning strategy. And if you deliver a better customer experience, you're gonna have, you know, better ACV, better long-term customer value, referrals, all this goodness starts to happen. But our first interactions with prospects are kind of pretty crappy. Um, so, you know, if you think about the way you would go and buy, Paul, if, if you had to make a considered decision for your business, probably you and your team would go out and the first thing you'd wanna do is do some research right? Yep, you'd want to yep. do some research. And the first thing we in, in marketing do is we put a form up and we say, yeah, we've, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars creating all this great content, but you can't get it, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and the reason that we put the form up is because we want to get your email. Yep. Uh, and we just can't wait to get your email. Um, so that we can carpet bomb you with irrelevant emails that, you know, you're going to just tune out. Um, there's so much noise. We send 7.7 .7 billion emails a day. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's right? an incredible number. Yeah. So it just, it's like nuts, right? So, um, so that's kind of part two. And then because those things don't work, you know, as an AE, I'm staring down my list of target accounts and thinking, how am I going to get meetings? 
and I'm smiling and dialing and doing all these cold calls, which is also not a super, super effective, you know, way, in my opinion. I'm not saying don't use the phone. That'll come up later. <laughs> I didn't take our sales team's phones away. However, I don't believe that sales should have to be making cold calls majority of the time. Um, so, so I kind of, I, I thought, geez, seems like there's probably a better way to do this. And I am the CMO of Sixth Sense. I'm sitting on this amazing technology that if I can't figure this out and if my team can't figure this out, like we're all hosed. <laughs> so I announced to the team and it wasn't really supposed to be a book originally, but I announced to the team. I said, hey, like guys, I think we need to just completely reimagine the experience that we deliver to our future customers or our prospects. And I wanna find a way to deliver an experience with no forms, no spam and no cold calls. And I wanna prove it's possible. And I wanna prove that we can double and um, do that in a responsible way with a kind of a CAC or a magic number that's in line with where we should be. Uh, I wanna prove that. I think we can do it. Super. And I, I so want to hear about this because <laughs> it, it, for people listening, if they don't believe this is a real issue, it is, it's, it's such an issue. And, and if I may share just a personal example of sure. what a turnoff it is. I was working with a company a few years ago, uh, a CRM company, and they wanted to do some oh, lead nurturing. So people in the funnel, not ready to buy yet. And they wanted to provide them with content that would be relevant to their role. And, and again, their target audience was sales and marketing. And so I was doing some work with the company anyway. This was a pretty large company who should know better. And so they asked me, would I record a couple of podcasts with them on the topic of sales? I said, sure, more than happy to. And I recorded it, very professional setup they had. Probably a month later, I get an email from the guy who asked me to do this. And he says, the recording's ready and it's up and it's on the site. If you'd like to have a listen to it, here's the link. I had to click eight, not one, two, three, eight times and fill in two forms to get the content. And, and I was thinking, then of course, what happens is later on, they said, oh, listen, that podcast stuff doesn't work. We're not going to do that again. And yeah, when I saw that, I thought, what hope there is. So please, I am I'm all ears to hear how we fix this. I know it is insane, right? It's crazy. Um, so, so I kind of laid that out and, you know, we had had a birthday party for one of the team members the night before. So I think they were all just really hung over. Um, and so they kind of nodded and said, okay. <laughs> and that's how the concept of the book was born. Uh, and we just really, really went after it. Um, and what I, what I find is like the reason, what's holding marketers back from embracing this new paradigm is a few things. Uh, but the first and probably most important is the MQL measurement. Okay. Um, because MQLs are measurable 
and marketing is hard to measure. And because they're measurable, um, I think a lot of marketers hold on to that MQL. And the whole reason for the gate is to get the email, but also declare that interest. Who uh, defines, by the way, what a marketing qualified lead is in terms of the criteria that makes it a, a check? Well, most, um, most like marketing automation solutions have like a point system. So you kind of sit in a room and you declare, well, they go to my pricing page, call that 10 points. <laughs> gotcha, right. Couple downloads, give it a 50, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's pretty random. Are sales um, involved in this process ever? I don't know, I don't know. I, Who cares? I, <laughs> I mean, I think the whole thing is ridiculous. So, um, but you know, you, you kind of deem these different activities points and come up with a score and then bada bing, bada bow, there's, you know, there's your lead. Um, and to me, the issue with this is if you think about the way uh, a, a B2B buyer buys, first of all, it's not a person. Right, and so uh, the definition of a lead is one person, a contact. And you know, how many deals have you had not closed because you didn't multi-thread? I mean, if we go back and we look at deals that didn't close, you will see on the persona map, oh, that's weird, we were just talking to one person. Yeah. So why do we start the process with one person? Like that just sets us up to fail later in my opinion. So that's the first problem with the lead. The second problem with the lead is if you think about the way buyers buy, they're going to do a, a lot of research and they're going to want to be, again, consuming content. And just because they're consuming content actually doesn't mean they're ready to buy. And so what happens is for the, you know, 2%, because that's about the number of people that come to your website and actually do fill out the form, um, you know, Mickey Mouse at AOL.com or whatever, um, for that percentage, they're actually not ready to buy. They just wanted to watch the podcast, <laughs> right? And so that's a huge batch. And then there's this second huge batch that are actually are ready to buy, but they've been ready to buy and we missed like the golden window of opportunity. So they come in as a hot inbound with a demo request or uh, contact us and we're so excited about these hot inbounds, but I believe inbound is actually too late. And there is a window. If you're able to really monitor a buying team's behavior, and it's not, what I'm talking about is not Star Wars. It's commercially available today. Um, you can pick up on buying team's behavior, both anonymously on your website. So the fact that they are, you, I can know you're watching the podcast. Mm without you filling out a form, <laughs> right? Yep. Right, so I can see the activity that you're doing. I can see the activity that the <laughs> and your team are doing. I can see the activity that you're doing maybe on things like external websites, like a, a G2 or Trust Radius. And I can see yep. the activity that you're doing on the broader um, B2B web with intent data. So I can see all these things. I can bring that together and I, all of a sudden with AI can start to see patterns of when is the ideal time to reach out? Who is ideal to reach out to? And is this even a good customer for us to sell to? 
Like that's the other big, big problem is I see um, a lot of folks want to play a volume game when in sales, it like all you have is your time. And so you, more leads is actually not better. <laughs> You'd rather less that are more qualified. So, so you put all these things together and all of a sudden you have a much better, um, you base, it's like showing, I, I, I talk about it as like showing up um, to the California gold rush with a metal detector versus a pan, right? right? All of a sudden you can point your team and your precious marketing and sales resources at the best accounts and the accounts that are ready to buy. And okay. so that is essentially what the, the part of the premise of the book is being able to do that. Um, and then also be really in tune with the buying team's timing. So exactly where they are in their journey so that you're hitting them with the right tactic and the right message based on where they are. And I I'm can curious to know, I, I'm, I'm sorry for, for cutting across you. Uh, I was curious to know where in that buying journey from denial where people are not even looking, it's, it's not on their radar to where they start to look around, maybe resist approaches, but are still moving forward. Where in that marketing comes in? Because it's one thing to be listening out for leads, clues, signs that somebody is actively looking, they're visiting sites. But that's great where there's a demand fulfillment, where, where, where there's a sense that the customers know what they're looking for, or at least they're aware of a problem and they're looking for a solution to it. What about those customers who are living in happy land, where, for example, they're using a spreadsheet to manage their customers we go back a few years to the early days of CRM, where if you ask people how they managed their prospect base, it was literally a box of cards. And then CRM came along. Well, to somebody who was used to using box of cards, they're not looking for uh, an online solution. So how do you reach those people who are not looking, have no sense that there's a better way, a better mousetrap from a marketing perspective? How would you do that? So I think that one of the things that, one of the biggest jobs of a CMO is not the ing, it's the market. So marketing, it's the market. Right. And so I think what your job as a CMO is, is to look at the market and make sure you have problem market fit. And if there is no problem, if you have no market, you have no company and you have no business. And so it's, okay, what problems are we solving? And how do we create proxies for what someone would be researching or would be buying? that would be an indicator that they are someone good to reach out to. So it's getting smart about what, what's the ecosystem that they would be buying. Like, are they investing in technology in general? You know, are they, are, what, what problem statements do they have? So just because they're not in market for your category, mm. 
and you're still shaping your category doesn't mean they don't have problems. And if you think they don't, and if they don't have problems, you're kind of hosed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's, so it's shaping that um, and being able to understand those proxies and those patterns. And then that's how you target. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting because I often wondered, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for, there's things I'll buy that I didn't know I needed. And then I'll see something and it'll go, oh, that's cool. And I'll buy it. And I'm just wondering in a B2B world, I, I could see how that works in a, in a B2C world. In a B2B world, I was wondering how marketing got people to think about a different way or a better way enabled by technology. It's your example of where they're using pans in the gold rush and you're selling metal detectors. And you, you've often seen those cartoons where there's the uh, Stone Age people and they're, they're, they're pushing a cart with no wheels. And there's a guy selling a wheel and they're saying, sorry, I'm too busy. And they're not, they're not looking for anything. And, and I think there's a, a gap there often, or I, I certainly know salespeople struggle a lot to open up those conversations. I think the easier conversations are where there is a demand already there enabled by marketing where people have a sense of what it is they're looking for and then it's just a case of whether i'm buying it from company a or company b and i'm looking for which is better better fit for me but i'm already warmed up as a buyer and, and i always That's thought there's a big a really big market early on that if you can get those upstream that you could really really kill it yes yeah and that's i feel as marketers we've tipped a little too far on um, thinking that we're creating demand with email and this and that, when really it, it is, the more data and the more you understand your market and you have good insights into the market and what the potential of that market is, and then you start to shape it from a category perspective like that's what we actually need to spend the majority of our time okay. doing. Yeah. Um, right. I was going to ask you, uh, in a world where there's no forms, no spam, no emails, and no cold calls, what does that world look like? So um, what it looks like is, and, and I always have to clarify, you know, again, I didn't take away phones. I don't, you know, we still send emails, right? It's just, it's about relevance. Um, and so what we do is um, it, it's first of all, under, like we just talked about the market, right? What is your TAM? Like, let's make sure to do that analysis. What, what does your TAM look like? What is your ICP? So what is your ideal customer profile within that TAM? Mm -hmm. And then where are those accounts on their journey? And, and you could have multiple, depending on the product, depending on you know, the region, you could have multiple TAMs and ICPs, but this is like some of the most important work that has to get done. And I actually tell marketers, I'm like, if I presented at a college of you know, upcoming marketers and I said, what should I ask in the interview? I said, ask if they know their ICP. Because if they don't, you're so screwed. <laughs> yeah. Like, question. Yeah. you're totally screwed and you'll never be successful. Um, 
So that's kind of step one is to really do the rigor and, and understand that so that you make sure that again, your precious resources, your time are focused on the right accounts. Um, and, and then once you unpack and can see where those accounts are in their journey, you can start to plan the right tactics based on where they are. So you talked about those clients that are under a rock. Well, I don't wanna spend your time actually on the clients that are under a rock. Um, and maybe I don't spend my time either. It really depends on that analysis and how many accounts are where. But if it is a more nascent offering, and I do need to focus there, I'm going to use more at like display advertising, I'm going to use more, uh, you know, paid social, I'm going to use those type of things to like warm those accounts up to let them know that they have a problem. Um, and as they progress in their journey, I'm going to do varying tactics um, to start to bring them along. And another kind of key ingredient to the formula is because we can see the keywords that they're researching, I don't have to guess about what you care about. So rather than do, like if you're researching predictive analytics, why would I put something else in the ad? <laughs> I'm gonna put predictive analytics in the ad, mm. right? Um, so we, what we do is we swap in and out the keywords to make sure that we're really hitting you with a message that is relevant to you based on your research and based on your patterns to move you along this journey. And then we, we can start to understand when you're ready to actually engage and we timestamp when you're ready. And that's when our outbound motion starts. Um, so, and our outbound motion is all about multi-threading. So marketing, again, keyword and persona based, warming it up with these tactics. And then when an account is, we say like, we call it a six QA, so a, a qualified account, um, it's ready for outreach that's when we start our outbound motion. Okay. Um, and, and we timestamp that. So we can actually see, like if we haven't gotten a meeting, if we know an account is ready and we haven't gotten a meeting in 16 days, like that's really bad. <laughs> and so okay. we, that's when we trigger stuff like direct mail and, and things like that to make sure that we are really capitalizing on our commercial opportunity right now. And do you send that direct mail or does a salesperson send that direct mail to a specific person in an account? It depends. So we have some like door opener programs um, that we run quarterly at a certain early stage that would be a marketing send. And then we have the, what I just explained, which would be a sales send. Like we haven't gotten a meeting and we know we should have given the insights that we have. Let's trigger this direct mail. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know as well uh, where technology come, not comes into it, but at what state of its evolution it is. Because you, you said something about using keywords to establish relevance. And it reminded me of a couple of things that I've seen recently. Now, these are more B2C, but I just wonder if they're also B2B. Is just, I've seen <laughs> only today on, I can't remember what site I'm on, but it's serving up ads. And it always seems to be serving me up ads for products I've already bought, where I was looking, saw something, bought it. And then from that point on, I'm getting ads from the same company, by the way, they're, they're, they're spending marketing money on trying to reach me with a product I've already bought from them. And then mm -hmm. there's other companies as well who are using the same keywords. Uh, that's one, there's another one I saw, I live in a small village 
and I saw these ads for at the bottom of a of a, of a newspaper journal was uh, something about the top lawyers in, and it was the name of my village. There's no lawyers in my village. It's too small, <laughs> right? And they're just using IP to to kind of pick something on a map and serve it up. And there's no relevance whatsoever. So it's either late or irrelevant. And I'm just curious to know from what you guys are doing, whether I'm, I'm I wouldn't say wrong to be worried about that and see that that's waste, or maybe they're just bad at what they're doing, but give me some sense that it's not really like that for most companies that are doing it in a much more sophisticated way. No, you have to test. Hmm. I mean, it's very important, like when you, and you know, it's, it's funny, like we call our, you know, we give our sales team a RFP template, but I say it's not a proposal, it's request for proof. Um, and really coach. I'm going to steal that by the way. That is great. That is really great. And coach our clients on how, like people can have a lot of wild claims. Like how do you, what, these are the tests that you run to prove that they, you know, talked about IP matching. That's a huge area where a lot of people can check the box and say they do it. Doesn't mean you do it well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a, and it's a, it, there is a test you can run to make sure that for your business and for your clientele, the matching is sound. Um, the, also with AI, there's the notion of a back test where you go and you look and you see how accurate was the model over time. You know, mm -hmm. how much of our revenue was actually predicted accurately. Mm -hmm. um, so there's ways that you test and that's what we work with our clients on because again, you know, nothing is, I will say nothing is perfect, yeah. um, but it's a hell of a lot better than shooting in the dark. For sure. I, I guess it, it also plays to the idea that you really do need a multi-threaded approach that just relying on that alone won't cut the mustard, that it gives you just one input, but when it's filtered through a number of layers of others uh, inputs into the intelligence process that uh, you get a different answer. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, um, I'm, I'm curious to know, just wanted to step back for a moment and, because I know you've spent a fair bit of time in, in sales roles before you moved to marketing. What do you do with your marketing hat on as you look over at sales organizations, where do you think we can improve? What, what can we do better? Markets changing, technology changes, roles we play changes, how they're configured changes. Uh, if, you know, the, the pre predictive, what's it called? Predictable revenue. Thank you. Predictable revenue. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you know, as a model of, of setting sales teams up and you can look at that and go, well, if for this particular business, it's great for this is not. And so I'm just wondering, as you look from, from a, through a lens at sales, mm -hmm. where can we improve? What can we do better? So, I think you have to hone your skills around relevance and experience. So, and, and what I mean by that is um, because, and there, you know, there's lots of stats on this, but because, you know, prospects are more and more educated when you encounter them 
you have to really lock in on your relevance, meaning what, like we just did a study with our, our sellers and what we realized was the first meeting that they were getting, they were walking into like all different kinds of scenarios, right? So some scenarios were not a project, but maybe a project and they really needed to be creating a project, right? Some scenarios, hey, they've already bought something like this before and they're very educated and now they want to upgrade. Um, again, because it is five or six personas on a buying team, your persona might have different needs than, than your persona. Um, and then based on their business model, their go-to-market engine is going to run a little bit differently and what we provide and what's going to be relevant is going to be different. And so we looked and we were like, oh my gosh, the, our, our guys and gals are getting thrown into these all of these different situations. How do we help them be more relevant in the moment? Mm-hmm. And so I think um, being able to really understand proxies and cues and making sure like there's no standard first call you call deck you're going to do, right? You like those days are over where you can kind of go through your rope thing, right? So being able to, you know, and, and the other thing is I know we want to do discovery, but I think discovery is a luxury and a lot of buyers are not having it and you can actually piss them off, right? So, you, and you don't want to create that moment, right? So it's that, um, it's that balance of giving and getting and relevance and being able to show up with relevance. Uh, you cannot just show up with your list of discovery questions anymore. Interesting. Um, I, I really want to, if you don't mind, because this is big, this is really, really important because so much of the market, in, in, I'm coming from my perspective now, is focused on discovery and asking better questions. And I personally am, I, I believe in good questions, but I'm also a huge believer in storytelling and using narrative structure. I don't mean telling fairy stories, but using narrative structure to build relevance with similar you know, stories of other customers who have had similar journeys to the one to your prospect and using both that and the, and the right questioning skills. And so I, when you say this, I thought I really want to spend a bit more time and understand your experience, what you're seeing and, and why you actually honed in on that to say that discovery, you know, my words, discovery is dead. You didn't say that, but I, I didn't say that. No, no, I know you didn't. I didn't. I know that. But like discovery is that we have to be careful. It's, it's, I think it's I'm paraphrasing, but you said that you just can't show up and ask a ton of questions that you need to come with something and an understanding so that you've already you're, you're, you're able to build relevance really quickly. That, that's my understanding of what you said. Yes, and maybe it's better questions, right? Um, and be prepared to zig and zag. But, but I think the main, what I see that is colossally frustrating to buyers is when you do discovery and then don't do anything with it. So it's like, I know I'm supposed to ask you this, so I'm gonna ask you this. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I just go through my standard thing. I will spend time with you and give you the luxury of discovery if you are going to take it 
and make the next presentation or the next soundbite you give me more meaningful back to me. Yes. And so I think that is where sellers can, can fall down is if they're used to, I'm just gonna go through my standard discovery to like establish pain and then I'm gonna go through my standard next step. So you're not a fan of scripts then? I just wanted to put that on the record. You have to be able to take the discovery and I believe make your next step relevant to what you heard in the discovery. But in order to do that, then you've got to be able to throw it away and just have a conversation around something that's relevant to your prospect, right? I mean, it's I, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being unfair to you by with leading questions here. I, it's hard and I think yeah. part of the part of what makes it more and more challenging. And, and I, I think about when I grew up and I learned, and you know, we talked about this earlier, like I learned the art of selling, right? Mm. And it didn't so much matter the, the product or the solution. It was, you know, the submarine, right? I need to mm. learn the submarine. And it's not that sellers, sellers still need to know the submarine, but they also need to have a lot of industry expertise now more so than ever before and so it's how do you combine the grounding of being a great seller in those concepts but also be like a SME yeah um because the basic stuff you know people just expect more they expect you to know you know the landscape and people love to be educated and hate to be sold so you're going to need to know how you differentiate from some yeah. competitor you've never heard of almost, you know what I mean? You're going to need to know what the five different personas on the buying team yeah. care about and what that means. You're going to need to know based on their industry, you know, how that affects their go-to-market in my case. So here's um, a challenge. And, and the, 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 I don't think this is the mar one for marketing, but I really would like to get your insight on it. This <clears throat> had this conversation with a rep in a company recently and we were talking, their, their end of year is end of January. And uh, long story short, he was basically saying, look, Paul, I'm not going to spend any time on this. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. He said, because come end of January, he said, I will be given a new set of accounts, probably a different vertical. And, 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 and that was where he was staying in the same role. In today's marketplace, I see so many reps, whether they're starting out as an SDR, BDR, moving as an AE role, is that they want to progress quickly. So they're, they don't spend long enough in a role to really get to understand an industry. And I'm wondering, is that, is that a solvable problem? Can you get somebody to quickly understand the industry or is it that there's some cliff notes that they that this all they need to know is here's here's a few pain points in that particular industry if they have them then we'll bring somebody else in a consultant to to, to dig deeper uh, and, and and i don't know the answer to that question i'm just curious to know what you you think well honestly i think that you're gonna have to pick an industry and stay somewhat in that industry to have a sales career. Like if you want to sell sales tech and you want a job in sales tech, you need to have worked in that industry, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about our hiring profile, you need to understand MarTech and or maybe sales tech or at least something somewhat 
on the radar of, of what we do. Otherwise it's just too hard. Yeah. It's just going to, unless you're like a BDR and you're starting with us and moving all the way up. But if you're a mature seller, a career seller, I think crossing industries is going to be more and more difficult. And when I think about our hiring profile, the last two companies I've been at, like you got to know our, our industry. Mm. Can't we to, especially if you're like, um, an mid-market plus seller, um, it's just too hard. Yeah. That's interesting because as a guy I know, and he doesn't define himself by who he sells for, he defines himself by who he sells to. He says, I sell to Bank of America and he can change companies he's working for, but he still sells to Bank of America. And that's, that's hyper focus. That's not just a, a vertical, that's a specific but, but, but company. But I think that's very smart of him. Yeah, yeah. Like his, like think about what is your personal brand and your personal brand can't be, I made quota every year anymore. Mm. You know, that's kind of, I mean, hopefully that's table stakes, right? But it's like, I know this and I'm going to build a career around this industry or this persona. That's a great example, or this account. Mm. Um, I think that's a really smart way for sellers to manage their careers now. I've heard you talk about account-based marketing and it sounded to me like you're a fan. And I wanted to understand the attraction in it and... And I wanted to really learn a little bit more because I had some personal concerns about it. Not so much in terms of uh, the concept. I, I get it. If you have a, a really, really big company, that could be like a, a market in itself. And that could feed not just a, a rep, but it could feed an entire company as a supplier for a long, long time. And so I believe in the concept. It's really in terms of the marketing role within that and, and here was my concern, because I, I think I did this years ago when I worked, I, I worked and basically I, I sold to Motorola. Now there was three sister companies in there, but they were all under the Motorola brand. So as I said, I do believe in it, but, but here's, here's what I, I understood was that the marketing people in my company knew very little about these accounts because I was in there literally every day and I could walk the corridors, knock on any door, walk in, it was the, the, they were contacting me for the field intelligence, who was doing what, what was on the product roadmap, et cetera. And, and that's, that's where I guess I'm trying to understand what role marketing plays in account-based marketing. So I think a couple of things. Um, I think account-based marketing has been unfortunately defined as, you know, it's work on five of the biggest accounts and that's all. So the way I think about account-based marketing is it's as much who you focus on as who you don't focus on. Okay. So, and it goes back to what I was talking about with TAM analysis and ICP. And so, and it starts with territory design, really. So it's sales and marketing coming together and saying, how do we give our sellers the absolute best chances based on data and insight? Um, and, and how do we really segment our, our market? So that's kind of like step one. And then step two is about, okay, based on potential, we are going, to, we're not going to spend the same on every segment, right? We're not going to broadly go out and come in. We are going to, based on the potential of those segments, kind of adjust the investment levels that we make, 
which makes sense, right? Um, it's more of an outbound motion than just an inbound motion as well, right? So a lot of marketers have kind of proud, prided themselves on an inbound machine, which is great. Um, but again, I believe sometimes that's too late, right? So it's being able to have the right data to be able to also have an outbound motion on top of an inbound motion. And then when it comes to the like concentration around, like in your example of a Motorola, um, you know, how, how would we plan something really spectacular and specific together for Motorola? I mean, if they're a big enough account, maybe we do a concert for them. You know, maybe we do a digital concert for all of the Motorola stakeholders and, and then maybe they're a big customer and all their users or, you know, so it's working with you to say, hmm, how do we really treat, not treat every account the same because we know Motorola has potential, you know, way more potential. So let's partner on delivering exceptional experiences and getting them engaged in differentiated ways. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not about what I do as a rep within an account, but it's more about how we focus and how we invest our times. And as you said, more also, who do we exclude from that? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it actually, it reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of something, a photography, as you can probably see as a, as a hobby of mine. And it was, it was a landscape photographer and he said, the secret to taking a good picture, he said, is sex, S-E-X. He said, it's very simple. What are you going to, how do you simplify what yep. it is you're going to take a picture of and what do you exclude? What do you leave out? He says, the biggest problem most people have when they take a landscape, they try to get everything in because they're looking at this vista and they're going, this is incredible. I'm trying to capture this. When in reality, what you want to do maybe is isolate that little tree against the backdrop. Oh, and yeah. said, simplify and exclude. And I thought it was a lovely way of conceptualizing. And I think it's also true from what you said about account-based yeah. marketing. And then that tree becomes, spect you can actually make that tree spectacular, right? Yes. So, you know, if you're focused on everything, everything becomes milk toast and boring marketing, right? So I actually, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and again, the, the other, I love these analogies with photography. There's so many of them because it's all about emotion as is buying but you need to give people something to focus on because if you try to give them everything, there's nothing, where, where does the eye land? Whereas yeah. if you, you, you decide as the photographer where their eye is gonna land, if it's that tree, for example, and you then look at how do I compose it to give it the best chance of grabbing the, the viewer's attention. And I think it's, it's same, same as true in sales. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. I know we've, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. I, you're CMO, and I know a lot of the people who would watch this or listen to the podcast would sell to CMOs. And I wanted to ask you your insights. You know, if, if I were trying to sell to you, what would I need to know about you to get your attention? And I don't mean you personally, but the role of CMO and what would be the best way to go about getting your attention and what are the kind of things that are a personal turnoff for you when, when being sold to? This is a really hard question. Honestly, I, I feel, um, I feel bad for anyone who has to sell to me. Um, I, so things get bought a couple ways. Um, 
One way is my team tells me they need it. And, you know, I call it the Christmas list, right? They're not, not everyone, Santa's not going to bring everything, but everyone makes a Christmas list come budget time. And if two departments want the same thing, it's like, we're definitely getting it, right? So the more departments that put it on the list, I'm like, oh, well, we should definitely get an Xbox for the basement. All the kids want the Xbox, right? So, um, so that, and then, you know, then there's also who kind of argues, you know, loudest or, or has the best kind of business case for, for yeah. what they feel they want to buy. Um, so that's one way. And that's, that I would say is probably the most common way that things get. Yeah. So the, the demand for you then in terms of where you get to decide budget goes, comes from your unit, not somebody coming up deciding that this is a shiny new object and you should have it. If, you, if you're not getting that demand, if it's not the squeaky wheel or it's not that multiple people are asking you within your own business, it's, it's less likely to be on your list. Is that, do I, did I understand that correctly? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not Make at all. Sense. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's, that's probably the bulk of it right, is my team comes to me and we do our planning and we talk about our initiatives and they are always researching what, what they need and interesting things. And, and then I would say the other way is, um, and this is more the fast track way, is, you know, I think these communities are, communities are the new, as Hamilton says, like room where it happens. And so, you know, I, I love to learn. I'm always learning. Um, I love to talk to my peers. I have a CMO community. It's about 600 CMOs. Every Friday we get together and we talk about different topics. And if I hear about something in there, I'm, I, will, I send a note to the team. I'm like, hey, we need this. I heard this technology is awesome. Mm. You should go look into it. Interesting. So, you know, that's more, you know, the, I would say the fast track is I am, I network with peers all the time at mm. what, you know, if they're successful on something and I think it's going to give me an advantage. Um, so that, 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 that's an interesting, okay, I get the peer if other people are doing it and people are saying it's of value, they have no agenda in it. They're not trying to sell you anything and they can also give context to it. I get that. The interesting bit was when you said your team and because what, what people are taught is that I've got to get to the, the senior person, the, the decision maker. And, but they often leave out the influencers in that and they they, they tend to dismiss anything. yeah that's that's I interesting really don't. yeah i mean i i balance the budget sure but each of my leaders has a budget yeah yeah, yeah. and they'll ask me advice they'll say what do you think and maybe we trade this out for that and yeah it's interesting. So who do you then see as your customer? Do you see the, it's the, it's the end client of Sixth Sense or is it sales, for example, internal customer? 
I hate this. I hate, hate that you are getting on a nerve of mine because I think, and I mean, hey, I'm a recovering salesperson, right? So I, I love our sales team, but I think marketers do themselves a huge disservice when they think that their internal customer is sales. That's insane. Sales is a channel and it is your job to optimize that channel. Sales is a channel. It's your job to optimize it. If it's not working, it's your job to optimize it. And where it's not working may or may not be MQLs. It could be win rates. Mm. You know, it, it could be cycle times. It could be ASPs. Your job, your, my number one stakeholder is our market. Mm. That is my stakeholder. Is I have to, Sorry, go ahead, please. I have to be the voice that is saying what is happening in our market and how do I make sure we are positioned and pointed at the highest potential for what we have today and what we might build in the future. Yeah. You see, this is interesting because we, we so often talk and hear about sales and marketing alignment. It's like never the twain shall meet. And, and it's, it's, is it a circle that we're trying to square? And the reason why I ask this is you said you see marketing as they're not, sales is not the customer, sales is a channel and your, your job is to optimize it and add value to it. The thing is, if you go over and ask sales, marketing, give me leads or go away. Now that's oversimplistic, I get it. And not every business is like that. But it can be, I think it might go with the personality, the typical red personality of a, of, of a sales rep, which is uh, just give me more leads, give me more leads. Uh, and they don't see the bigger picture. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you was to, to educate sales on the role of marketing and what the world would look like if marketing wasn't there. I know if I asked some salespeople that they'd go, we wouldn't notice. Now, I think that's like, you'd notice, it's like, we don't notice oxygen. Fish doesn't notice water, but take it away and you'll know it pretty quickly. And I think that's true of marketing when it's done well and not the old way, as you said, where it's just putting forms and spam and cold calling, right? So I'm wondering what in terms of, I think we've covered really good ground on saying to sales, look, here's the role of marketing. Here's the value it brings. We're really, I have this phrase I came up against uh, when I was writing a book on storytelling. And my, my view on stories were like that when in a sales role, you go meet with a prospect and there isn't a relationship there and you're, they see you as the salesperson trying to get them to open up and share with you what their goals are, what their fears are, what they're fed up with. Trying to get through that process is like trying to spread cold butter on warm bread. It's a, it's a messy, lumpy process. And for me, what stories do, which is what you said is building relevance, is they help you warm up the butter so it spreads easily and there isn't that friction and resistance. To me, that's the value of marketing is that when I go to meet with a prospect, there is a, an air of familiarity on their behalf so that they're with a brand, whether that's a company brand or a personal brand, so that that friction and resistance isn't there. 
It's they have an understanding and a familiarity. And I, I think that's huge. And I know that if you took it away, that's how I think I would feel it. And I'm curious to know if, if, if that's how you see it at all, or maybe you see it differently to me. I think that's a great way to articulate how it feels mm. as a seller. I would articulate what that actually means in practice as three big focus areas. Um, the first we've talked a little bit about is the market. And if I am pointing and I am working with our e-staff and our product team and our sales team and our CEO to make sure that we're pointed at a very high potential market and we have a relevant message in that high potential market, like it's going to be a great run as a salesperson, <laughs> right? And, and that's how an investor thinks, right? It's about potential. What is the potential, you know, and how do we make sure this company is, is in a good spot to capture that potential? So that's part one, is I want to point you at a ripe, amazing market. Mm. And that goes all the way down to your territories. I don't want you to have shitty cold territories. Yeah. So that's part one, is market. That prevents you from throwing a gutter ball in bowling. You're at least pointing at something where there's money, okay? Part two is brand. Brand says, okay, here's that market. I'm gonna give you an unfair advantage in this market because the differentiators will be clear. When you show up, they'll have a positive affinity. The experience that they have across, you know, from the first podcast they listen to all the way through, you know, customer success is going to be fantastic. Those communities that I talked about, there's going to be customers in those communities talking about you. That's all brand. That is the unfair advantage. That's when you have win rates that are 83%. That's the second big thing I do. The third big thing I do is revenue. And top of funnel gets, is obviously super important but I think it sometimes gets an over rotation because what I look at is I actually look at like six critical conversion points and I look all the way through that funnel. And I'm always just like on deals, you look for red flags, right? The best sellers are always looking for red flags. Where is this deal going to go sideways? What's not going to happen? How's it going to get screwed up? Yep. I, am look yep. I am looking at these six conversions all the time. How are they trending? Are they looking good? Are they looking bad? Are they trending the wrong way? And if not, we gotta go and fix that. And it could be anywhere in that cycle. So maybe we notice, oh my gosh, our, our competitive win rate is not good against this certain competitor. Well, I need to make sure you go into battle prepared and you've got the right collateral and content. And we've done our work from a CI perspective to arm you up. So. Those are just some of the things we do. Um, but I categorize it as market, brand, and revenue. So it's like marketing is nitro and sales is glycerin. You bring the two of them together and it's, it's a- It's party time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, and, and I'm wondering how many companies have that symbiotic relationship where the two organizations sit down together and realize that they have the exact same 
end objectives. Uh, maybe sometimes they don't always have it, but that's an issue with the company in terms of how compensation structures are set up. But that if they work together and realize that it's, it's a company goal, first of all, and then within that, it's a shared goal and, and, and shared responsibilities that when the two come together, it's a lot more than the sum of the parts. That's what I've learned anyway from, from today's conversation. Yeah, and I think the, the faster you get to having a unified view of your revenue cycle and how it's going and to have very, like a lot of transparency there, that is helpful. Cause like, I'll call Mark and I'll be like, oh my God, did you see the stage two? To, what am I gonna do? You know what I mean? And he's like, I know, I was looking at it too. Like we're, we have the same dashboard. <laughs> Yeah. And that makes it a lot easier because um, two heads are better than one focused on things. Makes sense. Latney, it's been an absolute eye-opener and I've so appreciated your time and your insights today. It's been a fascinating look inside marketing and the role it plays in enabling, not just enabling sales, but actually the, the making it better than it, it would be if it existed on its own. Uh, you, you can't underestimate the value of walking into a customer where you you're, you're perceived well, which gives you an unfair advantage. And I certainly know I've appreciated from a Sanders perspective what that's meant to me. And I guess from Sixth Sense, it's exactly the same for your sales reps uh, for what I heard today. My guest today- I hope that, so. Sorry, well, for sure, for sure, yeah. My guest today is Latney Colin. Latney is author of No Forms, No Spam, No Email. Latney is available on Amazon, I presume? And all yes, good stops. Excellent. What was that? And, and all good bookstores. Yes, exactly. Excellent. We will put up a link to that as well on, on the video. Again, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been fascinating. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.